Welcome to the Thriving on Purpose podcast, where we teach Christian entrepreneurs how to build a strong foundation of faith, growth, and skill to lead and thrive on purpose in life and business. And now, here are your hosts, certified coaches, Elizabeth and Sebastian Richard. I saw a thing, actually, a study that said speaking in front of a crowd is considered the number one fear of the average person. I found that amazing. Number two was death. <laughs> death is number two? This means to the average person, if you have to be at a funeral, you would rather be in the casket than doing the eulogy. Hello, everyone, and we thought we would start this week with some humor with uh, Jerry Seinfeld talking about public speaking because, hey, guess what? That's exactly what we are going to talk about today, how to overcome the fear of public speaking and doing live video. And I am Sebastian Richard, your host. As usual, I'm here with my wife. Elizabeth Richard. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for joining us. This is going to be a great episode. There's a, an incredible amount of content today. It's a teaching podcast, and we really want to add value to you. So stick around. It's going to be amazing. We're going to give you seven ways to overcome the fear of public speaking as we go. So these are ways that are definitely going to add tremendous value to you and help you in your process of building a business. And also, as you build a business, as most of you know, you get contacts. When you get contacts, oftentimes you get opportunities. Once you get opportunities, well, you get called on to speak. And that can be terrifying. Actually, it's so terrifying that statistics show that 74% of Americans suffer from what is known as glossophobia. And glossophobia is a fancy term for the fear of public speaking. So what we fear in public speaking if we're honest, it's not the act per se, but it's the rejection that could come from it. I mean, that, I know that's what it was for me. I'm going to tell you my story to put you in context. Um, I wasn't always a very good uh, public speaker. In fact, when most public speakers start out, guess what? They suck. I was no exception. I was 16 years old. And I was in high school, and uh, back in the day, uh, I think I spoke about my uh, testimonial in the past few episodes, but uh, back in the day, I was definitely not a popular kid. Uh, I had been bullied through most of my high school. I was very insecure. And once you're very insecure and you're called on to speak in front of the class, it's even more terrifying than it would be if you're a confident jock, <laughs> which I was not, okay? So that puts you kind of in context. And um, I had anguished and anguished over that um, speech I was supposed to give. It was around, maybe I timed myself around, I think it was something like seven to eight minutes. And I was going to talk about um, animals that are endangered species, okay? Animals that uh, could become extinct. And I was trying to sen sensibilize people to... Um, to pay attention to that and to maybe uh, get some information going in that direction. 
I still remember the speech, as you can see. I was 16 years old. It's very clear in my mind. <laughs> I even remember where I almost fainted. I was actually talking about uh, whales, how they protect uh, uh, sperm whales, they're called, how they protect uh, the sick whale from being captured by uh, whaling ships. They surround him uh, and they form, they kind of make a form of a flower around him to try to protect the animal, the sick animal, from being captured. Uh, I thought that was quite fascinating, but at the same time, while I was saying it, uh, my mouth became very dry. Uh, I started seeing spots in front of my <laughs> eyes. <laughs> And I could feel myself turning different colors. First off, when I first started, I was very red, probably red like a tomato. And at that point, I think I started becoming white like a ghost. Uh, and I, I, I was very dizzy. And I think I was very, very close to fainting in front of the class. In fact, it went so bad that everybody noticed my change of color. Um, but I kept going. I just kept going through the motions and, and reading because the teacher back then, he taught us, he said, you got to build a strong text and then read it. And I was trying to read the, the text in front of the class. And it was just painful. And I was going through it like a robot. And at the end, I, I, I don't even remember walking back to my seat. It was probably very automatic. And I probably looked like some kind of zombie as I did so. And uh, in front of the whole class, the teacher, it was customary for the teacher to just give us our, our grade right away, uh, give us a critic of how it went and how he thought. And, and obviously, everybody was embarrassed for me because, you know, that's one thing that people don't tell you. When you get up to go speak in public, people want you to succeed. They don't want you to fail. And that's something we have in our mind oftentimes that, we think they want us to fail, and that's just wrong thinking. And and if we're honest, and we this is a known fact, most people have that same fear. So they're all kind of like rooting for you because yeah, they're like, they're I'm scared. next, and they're, I'm scared. They're next. They know their turn will come, and they like they want you to do well because in a way it encourages them. They're like, well, if you did well, maybe I'm going to do well. So it's like a, a, dyna a group dynamic, especially when you're in high school and you know you're all going to go through it, right? Uh, anyway, but I didn't know that. I had the wrong mindset. I was uh, a guy who had been intimidated. I was uh, kind of an outcast in high school. So all that put together made me very, very, to put it mildly, ill at ease in front of the class. And once I sat down, the teacher gave his critic. I remember I got 70%, which was not so bad considering everything. <laughs> <laughs> um, but he did, in his critic, tell me that I should always have a, a drink of water. He says, if you're one of those people who gets with the, uh, the mouth dry, you should have a glass of water. And guess what? I took that advice to heart. And ever since that day, I've had a glass of water when I'm about to speak, including when I'm podcasting. I have a glass of water next to me right now. Anyway, it was just, and, and even everybody, like when they, because the teacher would go like, so anybody has comments or anything they want to say to Sebastian? And, and I think people were so uh, sad for me in a way. Like they, they felt like, oh my God, poor guy. You know, he went through hell. And <laughs> and some said, at some point, I I think a girl raised her hand. She said, at some point, I thought he was going to faint. Thank goodness you didn't. And <laughs> Anyway, but all this to say, it had such a negative effect on me that the next course, that was my French course. The next course was phys ed. And as you can guess, I still, I, I wasn't very good in phys ed. I was the kind of guy who was kind of picked last back, back in the day. <laughs> so phys ed only added to the, the stress of the whole day. 
And I, my, I had a fever. My temperature went up to 102 degrees Fahrenheit as a result of the stress that I was under when I did my public speech in the prior class. So it wasn't my first time doing a public speech in high school, but it was the time that I believe gave me post-traumatic stress syndrome. I mean, after that, from that moment on, I dreaded public speaking with a fear that was unparalleled, okay? I, I was one of those people like Jerry Seinfeld talked about. I would have preferred being in the casket than giving the eulogy. <laughs> and God has a sense of humor. Really, he really does. Because I was 16 back then, and at 21 years old, I was involved in church. And God made it quite clear in no uncertain terms that I was called to preach and teach. And uh, once again, I had to overcome the fear of public speaking. I will tell you how that went down a little further as we go. But I wanted to share with you that part of my life so that you feel like, okay, you know what? He's teaching from a position of knowing that fear. Okay, he's not just like, I've never been afraid and here's how you do it. No, no, I've been there. I mean, I trust me, I've been there. But I overcame, thank God. And today, that's what we want to help you guys do. We want you to get to overcome the fear of public speaking because, hey, guess what? Public speaking has completely transformed nowadays. I mean, it's not just, uh, it used to be, it was just at events, right? You had a keynote to give or a presentation to a group or whatnot in front of real people. But now it's video. There's Facebook Lives, there's YouTube videos. This is taking the internet by storm. And Liz, you had a, a few words you wanted to say about yeah, that. Yeah, exactly. So that's the, the, the key here. That's one of the biggest reasons we wanted to do this was because, yes, there are a lot of entrepreneurs that... Uh, are wanting to speak out in public and they're wanting to do different uh, events for corporations and speaking gigs. But there's also the entrepreneur world that's online that are now doing a lot of live videos and the same kind of stress uh, speaking, you know, doing live videos on YouTube or Facebook Live, Instagram to share your content, to educate people um, is can be really, really stressful. So these tips are really going to help you uh, as well if you're doing live video. And uh, we won't be talking about picturing people naked because that does not work. <laughs> it does not work. And I know I've tried. <laughs> exactly. So I was really, um, as a young teenager, I had the same fears as Sebastian. Uh, very, you know, good with one-on-one -on -one people, small groups to chit-chat with people. But whenever I was in the front of church or wherever and just had people staring at me and I had to give out content, I'd really get really, really stressed. And I actually didn't faint, but I would get like, like kind of like memory blocks that all of a sudden I'd forget all of my content. It just oh like vanished from my brain. <laughs> and I was like, uh. And, and you're so, not alone. I mean, that's another symptom that a lot of people have when they get to speak in front of people. Yeah, it's just like the pressure and the staring and the, I don't know, it just made me so uneasy. But as we know as entrepreneurs, this is part of something that we need to learn to grow, to grow our businesses. So I had no choice but to start doing live videos. And this is uh, really an area where I need to improve on. So all these tips, you know, that I learned a lot from uh, the John Maxwell team. We both did and we learned a lot uh, through uh, Sebastian's um, 
teachings and things that he's learned through the years because he did teach in church. So uh, I hope this will bless you and that you'll share it with your friends that have these same uh, difficulties. And and before you go on, there's a quote I wanted to share with the audience that I forgot to share earlier. It's just yeah. it's just amazing. It's really good. It's Mark Twain, and everybody knows Mark Twain's uh, wit, and it's no exception in this quote. He says, "There are two types of speakers: those that are nervous, and those that are liars." <laughs> that's good. Uh, and I think that's that's pretty much. I mean, everybody gets nervous when like there's levels, there's degrees, obviously. Yeah. But there's always some jitters uh, unless you've done it so many so many so many times that it becomes second nature and most of us are not there yet exactly so here are a few statistics and helpful tips number one is fear of public speaking cuts wages by 10 percent so that means basically if you are afraid to speak in public you will most likely have a lower salary than those who aren't afraid exactly and you know I just want to point out here, a lot of people, and especially I know for me, when I started um, learning about speaking and and being uh, part of the entrepreneurial world, we automatically, us introverts, notice the extroverts, and we notice how it's easy for them to just have all this verbiage, and they just, you know, are so used to speaking, and it just comes to second nature, and a lot of you introverts know that you need to do this to grow in your business whether you're doing an online business or whether you're an entrepreneur um, speaking in the corporate world. And it can be very, very stressful. And it's something that we all need to learn because we will increase our income if we, um, if we do go to that next level. So these uh, principles, these tips that we're giving you you know, chances are you are an introvert if you're learning, <laughs> if you're listening to us, because... Oh, there, there, let's not generalize. I think there are some extroverts. Uh, I know quite a few, actually. That want to get better, but... Neither want to get better or who are too self-conscious. And, then, yeah. and then it's not because you're really extroverted and you love partying that, that you're going to necessarily fly when it comes to address a crowd. I mean... Right. There's but, a technique to it. There's a technique, but... It's maybe a bit more of a plague for the introvert. I agree with that. Yeah, exactly. So number two is fear of public speaking inhibits promotion to management by 15%. Yeah, because management does notice that. When you're at ease at speaking in public, your managers will notice. And automatically in their mind, they think you have more leadership skill. Right. And automatically in their mind, they think potential for promotion. So that's how it works. Exactly. Number three, your delivery matters more than your content. According to research, what you say to an audience isn't nearly as important as how you say it. Mm. Studies suggest that effective presentations are 38% your voice, 55% nonverbal communication, and only 7% your content. Isn't that freaking amazing seven percent only is your content so that's why we have so much bad content online that goes (laughs) viral because some people are really really good at presenting bad content and And it goes viral they do it so dynamic so well well. so that means you should spend even more time preparing your delivery than you do developing awesome content oh are you talking to me liz 
So, <laughs> no, but it's true. Like, it does no, make true. a difference. I'm yeah. not saying you should, you know, be quick about your content and make it crappy. I'm saying that it's just to show you to what extent it is important. It, it has more impact. Yeah, exactly. Your delivery so has we, more impact. So, just goes to show you to what extent we really need to master this skill properly. And number four. Number four is a good pointer in the right direction. They, it says that if you talk less... It's better than if you talk too long. And they also say you should engage your audience more as you speak. Okay? So shorter, more impactful speeches are proven to be more effective than longer ones. Winston Churchill was very well known for his speaking ability. And he said, a good speech should be like a woman's skirt. Long enough to cover the subject and short enough to create interest. <laughs> now, isn't that good advice, really? I mean, this is really good. This is the wit of Winston Churchill. And research suggests that if a presenter does all the talking without giving the audience an opportunity to participate, the audience engagement drops by 14%. So therefore, you should take care to provide plenty of opportunities for your audience to uh, either ask questions or interact with you uh, or otherwise participate in your presentation. That's why uh, I've noticed uh, T.D. Jakes, who is one of the world's best preachers, let's be honest, his delivery is just amazing. Right. Oftentimes during his sermon, he's going to say, now turn to your neighbor and say, God will bless you today. He doesn't do that just like randomly. He does that for two reasons. He wants something to sink in their minds, mm -hmm. but he also wants to get them actively participating in his speech and sermon delivery. Right. Because that keeps their attention and that keeps their retention rate higher. And it keeps them from dozing off because some people... Well, with T.D. Jakes, it's hard to doze off, but I, I know what you're saying. <laughs> no, but it's true. Like some, I'm not saying for T.D. Well, Jakes. Yeah, yeah, if you're some, not T.D. Jakes, if you're not, it keeps them from dozing off. <laughs> it, well, it keeps people interested because some really people does, have yeah. a short attention span. Well, right? that, that's what I meant, that the retention yeah. rate there. Yeah, exactly. So here are some great advantages to becoming a great public speaker. Number one is further your reach and career. Number two, improve your self-confidence. So obviously when you speak in public and things go the way they should, you increase your confidence. Number three, improve your social life. Number four, become a better thinker. Because you, you think on your feet, literally. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You kind of have to wing it sometimes too. And number five is increase your influence. Now this is huge when it comes to... Um, social media, when it comes to events, if you're in the network marketing or home business industry and you go to events and you're able to share on stage uh, how you, you know, increased, uh, I don't know, yeah. uh, your audience or how you're making more sales or how you're more successful. If you have mastered the art of speaking, it automatically positions you as someone who knows what they're talking about. And so, yeah, and there's some people that have had success, but they're so scared of going to talk about it on stage. So some people will, you know, stop themselves from increasing their audience and having more influence on social media because they dare not walk that stage. Mm. They'd rather rather just hide behind their video or uh, just behind, you know, their Facebook profile and not go there. They kind of hijack their own business. 
by, well, yeah, by being it, scared. Yeah, yeah, they don't reach that next dimension. And I actually heard a really uh, well-known speaker talk about this. He was an introvert and he made it really big in his business as a network marketer. And he said that he had such a, a phobia of public speaking, he dared not do it. And the first time he went on stage and he talked about uh, you know, what he had to talk about, he didn't do a great job. Like it wasn't, well, he figured it was kind of a train wreck, but he really didn't like his presentation. And that just made him realize to what extent it was a pain point he needed to work at and yeah. that he was going to come back on that stage really strong and well-skilled the next time. But he also, what was powerful about that is that it changed, he realized that it was changing him in a good way. Yeah. So it was making him become more. Yes. You know, so it was helping him to reach another level in his business and become more, uh, so better, a better version of himself. There you go. Well, when, when, like when, you, said, when you, you master know? your fears, you become more automatically. Exactly. And you become a fears. new person. Yeah. And it's something that we're kind of scared of sometimes. But the more you learn, the more you grow into something better, the more you're amazed at yourself and you're amazed at the impact you can make on other people and how you can help them, right? So increasing your influence is huge, especially when it comes to the online world today. Yeah. So number six is better your relationships. Yeah, well, uh, you know, when you become a public speaker, automatically it it comes with the territory that you have to understand psychology better. Mm-hmm. You have to know your audience. You have to know a way to present it that's not a, that's not going to shock them or, or make them angry or make them sad or disappointed or whatnot. So there's a lot of psychology attached to the art of good public speaking. So if you become better at that, guess what? You're going to become better at psychology. And guess what? That's going to make you better at relationships as well. Right, exactly. And number seven is makes you a better communicator. Obviously. So obviously you're learning skills that help you to communicate to your audience because obviously they're not there to have a conversation with you and answering you back. So you have to be able to deliver that powerful message in a way that really resonates, right? Yeah. Number eight is a great way to get referrals from your audience and shares on social media. Absolutely. So, you know, when you're building an audience online, this is a really great way when you're doing live videos or when you're at events sharing the content that you shared. This obviously will grow your audience, get more shares, and will grow your your presence on social media, which is really, really huge, Mm -hmm. especially in this social media age where a lot of people are leveraging the free social media platforms like Facebook and Instagram and even Twitter with Periscope. Yeah, Uh, which brings us back to uh, earlier I said I would uh, fast forward five years later after my when I was 16 years old and I almost fainted and at 21 years old I was involved in my church and all of a sudden my spiritual gifts were obvious to all but myself and uh, I had opportunities that were presented to me to Uh, speak, teach, and preach. And, of course, uh, being traumatized by the past, I was still very much afraid of that. On the one hand, I felt a tug. The Holy Spirit was guiding me in a direction, showing me that I should do that because it was my spiritual gift to teach. And I felt a responsibility to do it. But on the other hand, I still had that dreaded fear of public speaking. And I remember the first time I was going to give a sermon... 
It was a church of about 250 people, uh, which in Quebec is fairly large. Um, in the States, it's a small church, but in Quebec, it was a pretty big assembly. I was deathly afraid. I mean, I remember my hands were clammy. I was shaking. Uh, and that was before. I wasn't even on stage. I mean, the, the service hadn't even begun. So I went to see uh, one of my friends in church. It was an elder, much older than I was. And uh, I knew he was an experienced speaker. So I said, like, you got to pray for me. I, I I don't know if I can do this. I, I'm scared. I'm terrified. I'm mortified. He said, okay, no. He says, calm down, calm down. Let's go, let's go. We're going to pray. So we went in the back and uh, he prayed for me. And uh, he, that kind of gave me some comfort and, uh, and a good direction also because as he prayed, I realized more and more, you know, this is, this is not about me. It's something more. It's more important than that. And uh, I went, I did my job from the pulpit. And God greatly blessed that time. It was maybe 25 minutes, 30 minutes. He greatly blessed my sermon. The people were edified. They were touched. Uh, and they were thankful. And at the end of the service, uh, they came to see me and went, you know, when you're 21 years old and you have like 40-year-olds and, and older people coming to thank you, you know you did something right. That was a great sign of confirmation that I was doing the right thing. But at the same time, it made me understand the, a part of the mindset that I should have. Because through that prayer with the, my, my friend, the elder, I understood that it was not about me. And then the delivery and the results thereafter made me understand and confirmed that this was not about me. Exactly. And um, I have a, a short anecdote to add to that as well. Um, I went, uh, I did a year of Bible college at the end of my uh, high school. And uh, basically, um, certain periods of the year, we would go out in different churches and different schools and uh, Christian schools. And we'd talk about, uh, we'd sing, you know, uh, we'd sing whatever program that we had learned with the Bible college. And we'd always share a special message. And that was like part of our ministry. And um, so there, there was always a speaker that would give messages to youth. The, it was really focused around youth and having an impact on youth. So we did a lot of churches and a lot of, um, a lot of youth uh, ministries, a lot of different areas at uh, like different schools and stuff. And at one point, um, I had shared my, my story with, with all my teammates and everybody about how I lived through how I basically survived the death of my mom when she was very uh, young. Well, I was young when I lost her. I was 16. And uh, all my, my whole adolescence was uh, revolved around her sickness and, you know, trying to help her to get better. And anyway, and then she ended up passing away. And it really affected my, my faith in a certain way. But I overcame those uh, trials and got stronger in my faith. So... At one point, we were at one of the schools, and uh, we we do our routine like usual. We're singing and everything, and and then the director of the of of our Bible college comes to see me, and he says, um, "I'd like you to share your story about your mom." And he's like telling me this like five minutes, like I had no time to prepare nothing, <laughs> like five minutes before. That's the best way to do it. <laughs> five minutes before, he's like, "Can you please share the story of your mom and?" you know, your testimony and everything. And I'm like, uh, and he says, like, I just wanted to say no and like scream inside because it's so personal. And so, you know, 
like stressful for me and to talk about that in the first place and then we're in this huge huge school auditorium like with tons of adolescents everywhere like yeah. it wasn't a small school you know and then he says to me he says there's this um, family, there's this brother and sister that just lost their mom. Mm. And he said, I really think that your testimony would really be uh, needed at this time. So I went on stage talking about my story in a whole different way. Like yeah. it gave me the courage to do it because I it knew exactly anymore. what they were living. And I knew yeah. the hell they were going to go through. And I knew exactly, you know, how to uplift them and how to share my story in a way that would have an impact and I had the chance afterwards to talk to them and it it did really really help them and and give them you know a, a feeling of you know I'm not the only one yeah. like there's other people that have gone through this and I was a living testimony that it was going to be okay at the end kind of like what we're doing today I mean by sharing our testimony and our the past fears of public speaking we're hoping that this will encourage you yeah. If you today are struggling with this fear, we're hoping that you're going to see, hey, you know what? I can I can overcome this. They did, and everybody, countless individuals have. I mean, all speakers you've seen uh, are still struggling with that or have overcome it. So exactly. you're, you're not alone. So now we're going to go down that list, those seven, uh, I guess we could call them antidotes to the fear of public speaking, and we're going to go with number one. Number one, be truthful be truthful i know that sounds weird i mean you know you're not going to go on stage to tell lies right uh, but in order to be convincing you need to be convinced be sure about what you bring up be sure of your facts be sure that what you're saying is true be sure that what you're saying is accurate john maxwell he once said that he never taught anything that he wasn't 100% sure of. Now, from a theological perspective, now that is very interesting because he used to be a pastor, right? And there's so many doctrines that you can cover in the course of a pastoral career. That means that he never touched on a doctrine that he was not 100% convinced and sure of himself. That's powerful. Remember, your speeches will impact your reputation your branding, and ultimately your business. If you're not truthful, sincere, or if you are inaccurate, this bad information can come and bite you in the butt later on. I once quoted John MacArthur after hearing one of his sermons. I was giving a teaching at church, and I quoted John MacArthur. I said, I said the quote, and I said, John MacArthur said, blah, blah, blah because I had heard John MacArthur say it. So I thought it was John MacArthur. But it turns out I was quoting a church father. John MacArthur had actually quoted the church father. Either I had misheard the quote, maybe he didn't mention it was from a church father, maybe just blurted it out in his own mm -hmm. way, but he didn't mention a church father so-and-so said blah, blah, blah. So a lady at the end of the service came to me and she told me, that quote is not from John MacArthur. It's from Church Father so-and-so, from the early church. She knew. I didn't. So that, to me, was a big lesson. There's always someone in the audience that might know if you're giving inaccurate information. So be sure that what you're giving out is true and accurate. 
Very important, absolutely. So always keep this in mind. There will always be someone more knowledgeable than you in the audience. And some of them can call you out on inaccurate information, sometimes even publicly. And that hurts. That can be tough as a speaker when it happens. So you have to know what you say is true, be able to back it up and do research accordingly. So be sure what you are saying is accurate and truthful. So this basically comes back to doing your homework, right? Yeah. Doing proper research oh, and yeah. not just like copying other people's content really. Because sometimes but when you copy other people's content, you might be copying their inaccurate information. Keep that in mind too. Exactly. That's tricky. So you have to do a little research and build, <laughs> a lot. Build, yeah, a lot and build your content properly. Yeah. So number two is be positive. Avoid negative self-talk. This was my worst mistake when I first started out. Um, I would say all kinds of negative self-talk to myself whenever. And you're not alone. I when did the I, same thing. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, sometimes when you're doing your live videos, you're thinking of everybody on your friends list or everybody that's on your profile that could possibly think something negative. And or you see them popping on and off. Oh, oh, so-and-so just popped on. Like if it's someone who, sometimes if it's someone who's higher at a higher station than you in life and they pop on, you're like, oh, oh, he just popped on. Yeah, like, what is he going to think? What is he going to think? <laughs> something, someone influential. That, that actually happened to Sebastian once. It did. And it, did. Uh, it, it, it was, kind of uh, threw him off. He's like, uh, like. It was, yeah. it was some, someone high up in the John Maxwell team organization who popped on one of my <laughs> lives, live videos. And it caught me completely off guard because I was just used to having my you know, friends and family pop on. And all of a sudden I see this guy, this super influential person, pop on while I'm talking. And, you know, sure enough, I, I messed up. I, I started <laughs> learning out stuff really, really fast because I really want to finish this live now. <laughs> I really wanted to go, <laughs> go through it and finish it as soon as possible so I could click off. Done. <laughs> yeah, so... <laughs> Don't do that, by the way. <laughs> yeah, so you have to... Um... You have to really remove um, those fears and that all comes back to being positive and talking to yourself the right way, right? Positive self-talk. Sometimes we get intimidated by people. Sometimes we get, um, you know, we just don't have the right mindset and we're too negative and we feel like we're inefficient, not good enough. And we tend to speak to ourselves in such a, a negative way that it's just going to hinder the way that you're going to present yourself and the way you're going to talk on your live videos and um, and in your speeches or your presentations. So instead of instead of doing this, you really have to focus on thinking positive and using self-talk like they're going to be blown away. I have great content to share. I can't wait to give this goal to them. What a blessing it is to be here. Uh, thank you, God, for this tremendous opportunity. You know, you really have to to put these come to a place where you know you're sharing information that's going to help people. That you're you're doing this because even if it just helps one person on that live video, it's worth it. Like yeah. you really have to think of that in the back of your mind to remove the stress. Otherwise, you just make it about you and about everybody else thinking whatever about you, and then it just you know, is a crappy... It's a nosedive. Like yeah. A, a <laughs> crash and dive. burn. And, uh, you can do like uh, Stuart Smalley in Saturday Night Live. I don't know if you guys remember that guy. Stuart Smalley. I'm good enough. I'm smart enough. And doggone it, people like me. 
Just repeat that to yourself before you talk. Say that to yourself 10 times before you do a live video. So that brings us to number three. Number three, be interesting. Oh, yeah, I know. It's, this is, well, Sebastian, this is so obvious. Of course, you have to be interesting. I know it sounds obvious, but oftentimes we fail at being interesting. Either because our, our, the way we present it is not accurate, or either because our content is just not researched enough or not interesting enough. So be interesting. So how can you make sure you're interesting? Well, a real good rule of thumb is be interested in your subject. When you're interested, you will be interesting. You cannot be interesting if you are not first interested. And also, make sure you add anecdotes, short stories. I mean, short stories go a long way. It's just amazing, the power of stories. Any speaker will tell you that. Uh, statistics, quotes from famous people, and, and, and just a little word of caution here when you quote people, research a person prior. Okay, make, make, make sure the person is not involved in any kind of uh, uh, bad situation or anything. I, you don't want to quote Hitler, you know what I'm saying? I, <laughs> Unless it's really on point with what you're saying. But the point I'm trying to say is make sure the reputation of the person you're quoting is is good and that everything's okay with the world. Because sometimes, you, you know, a person that you might have known two years ago might be involved in some scandal at this moment. Right. And you just don't know about it. So you're quoting that person. You just didn't know that lately in news that person was in some kind of scandal. So be careful when you your, quote people. Your, uh, your and, speech will not have the same impact. And my, my <laughs> personal preference is to always quote people who are dead. I, I know it sounds corny, <laughs> but when they're dead, there's no danger of any scandal. You know? <laughs> <You're> nuts. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. <laughs> yeah, so... Um... So, so make sure you have... That, that what you have to say is interesting. This is going to give you more confidence as you approach delivery time. Exactly. And if you think about, you know, every preacher that you've ever heard, whether it be online or in the pulpit, you know, at church, we've always loved that time where they stop and they start telling a story, whether it be a, a personal anecdote of something that happened in their family life. Like we just feel a connection with the person that they're, relate, they're more relatable and yeah. that we can trust them more. And everything else after that becomes a lot more receptive as opposed to somebody that's just there to educate you and teach to you, right? Yeah. So th this is super, super important. And it also takes the edge off. When you're talking about something you're passionate about or something, you know, that has humor in it or some kind of a story or quotes, oftentimes that tends to take the edge off and kind of makes you more comfortable afterwards when you're doing the great your part content. about the great part about good stories or anecdotes or, or illustrations is that it relaxes you but it also relaxes the audience right uh, it kind of shifts their mind a little bit it keeps them in tune with what you're saying it keeps their attention but it shifts a little bit their mind you know, it makes them laugh smile even sometimes uh, um, I, I've had stories that I said that were very very sad that would that, like touch a chord with people, but they still remembered it years later. So adding uh, illustrations and all kinds of extra material to your presentation really, really makes it more interesting. And it's proven that adding facts and figures to a presentation increases audience attention and retention by 20%. So this engages your audience more. 
and it makes your speech more appreciated, even in some cases, memorable. So here's a, here's a quick tip that I'm going to give you, okay? I have a, a bookshelf here in my library. There's two layers of books, so two, two layers deep. All the books are short stories, quotes, anecdotes, quotations, uh, and, and, and then some. And I find that going through these books once in a while, just like, you know, sitting, reading, picking it up and just reading, a, a perusing through it just for fun, it keeps you, it keeps your imagination going and it, oftentimes these stories will stick with you. So later on when you're writing a speech, you're going to remember, oh, I remember I read such and such a story. It had to do with that. I'm going to go and find it and bring it back to the forefront and use it in this speech. So it kind of, it kind of um, gives you a mental uh, library of uh, quotes and facts and anecdotes, but also a physical one when you buy those books. So here's, a, here's just a, a quote by Charles Spurgeon. Charles Spurgeon once said, a story is remembered long after the sermon is forgotten. So whether it's a sermon or a speech, if you have a powerful story to illustrate your point, people are going to remember that longer than the speech you gave. There's a few books that you could... Uh, I'm going to give more of these resources uh, in the show notes, but I'm just gonna, I just wanted to give you three uh, books that I think you should have that really could help... Uh, you add some good information. Uh, one is Bartlett's Book of Quotations. It's probably the most popular book of quotations out there. It's been around for, I don't know, almost 100 years. There's also uh, the Encyclopedia of 15,000 Illustrations. I don't, even, I don't know if it's still in print, okay? It's a huge brick, 15,000 illustrations by Paul Lee Tan. He was a pastor, and he compiled all these quotes and anecdotes and illustrations, 15,000 of them. And another little great book that I picked up a few months ago is Barber's Encyclopedia of Great Christian Quotes. If you can put your hands on that, you're going to really like it. It's a, it's a treasure trove of uh, great quotes, uh, all Christian. So you will, you will find that useful. Exactly. So th that brings us to the fourth antidote to fear which is practice so brian tracy once told of how he practiced one speech 52 times they they're not like five minute speeches it's really really no long. it was a keynote yeah. I, and i remember the keynote in which he said it and uh it just blew me away exactly that's an hour-long speech repeated 52 times that's 52 hours folks it's amazing. Of practice. Exactly. Before the delivery. But he added, and, and I remember during his speech, he said, I know it sounds like a lot of work, and it is. But he says, trust me, it was worth every second. Because how this one speech grew my business is immeasurable. In other words, he said that the impact that speech had, because he had practiced it so much and aced it, it was really, really a home run. And, and Brian Tracy is a great speaker. He said it exploded his business in Absolutely. a very significant way. So that is a really great lesson from a great speaker. Exactly. So, so much jitters are eliminated by solid preparation. Good practice gives you a better handle on your subject and makes you feel more prepared and more confident. This goes for live video as well. And I've done it. I know what I'm talking about. 
if I'm not well enough prepared and I didn't practice enough, then I, I'm kind of rambling and, you know, I just get nervous and I don't know where I'm going. Then people pop on my live video and then I'm like losing my train of thought. So this is super important to write it out, practice your points, say it, say it to somebody in your house or in the mirror mirror, or not in the mirror, just out loud. Yeah. Just prepare it a few times. I know that um, it goes against what they're teaching on social media. I've heard a lot of trainers say, just be yourself. Be, be raw. Be raw. <laughs> and just talk and whatever. But I'm sorry. It, if you don't have anything good to say, people are going to just pop off your live. Yeah. Like you have to have, you have to deliver good content. So I'm not exactly okay with that statement. I don't think it's, you know, for some people, maybe it works because they're not as um, stressed out. Maybe, maybe they're more comfortable. So it works out better to just go with the flow, be authentic. But if you're using your live videos to educate people and teach people, whether you're a coach or whether, you know, you're in network marketing or whatever, I really think you need to prepare your points and, and practice it before. And here's a cool little quote to remember this about the practice. Preparation eliminates agitation. Preparation eliminates agitation. Exactly. And number five is mind your body, not just your mind. So deep breaths before jumping up and down where nobody can see you. Yeah, yeah I once did that in a, <laughs> in a public bathroom. I had a speech together. I went to the public bathroom and I made sure there was nobody coming in. And I was started jumping up and down, like trying to get the blood flow, you know, like the, the heart rate and the blood flow and, and, and get movement in, in, in my body because I've noticed that it makes a big, big difference on how dynamic you are once you go on stage. Yeah, and it helps center you, center you. it helps you focus better. Um, Tony Robbins uses a small trampoline just before he literally jumps on stage. <laughs> um, that's maybe a little exaggerated, but... It's this... extreme, but it works. I mean, Tony Robbins super dynamic. Yeah, and we've seen the the president of uh, John Maxwell too jump around a little oh before. Oh my goodness! Yeah, he <laughs> probably had a trampoline hidden. They in actually, the, uh, yeah, and and before events, when a certain speaker is going on, they have this loud music and they're almost dancing on stage before they start the speech. And there's a reason why they do that. It's not just to get people in the mood and have fun. It's really to get the blood flowing, get the focus, and get. The, the content out dynamically yeah right? and I've done some push-ups before I mean it's happened that, that I, I, I've done some push-ups before I did a live video just to, to get the blood flowing again same thing some people enjoy listening to a really good motivating song something that they really love that really motivates them and puts them in the right focus right uh, spirit if you want right train of mind before they do a live video some even even before the podcast sometimes I joke with Liz I say okay uh I don't think we're into it. Like maybe we should jump up and down, up and down, jump up, jump up and down. And then she laughs because it's a podcast, right? I mean, we don't, we're, we're more, I guess we're more natural and more raw when we do podcasts, but still, I mean, we're still talking to you guys, right? Right. So you don't want to be shaking when you go on stage. You want to shake them instead, figuratively speaking. Of course it's figurative. You don't want to like go down and start shaking people, right? That would be rude. <laughs> but you don't want to be, yeah, you don't you want to put yourself in that part. But no, you want, you want your words to shake them. You don't want your voice to shake. You want them to be shaken by what you say. Right? Exactly. So that brings us to number six. Number six. And this is so, so important. This, to me, is central. It, it's been the key for me. Okay, all the other points are great. They're all going to help you. But this number six one, if you don't do that, you will fail. 
And here's it. Here's what it is. Make it about them, not about you. So don't come up on stage with an attitude of, here I am, you lucky people. Don't do that. <laughs> Go on stage with an attitude of, there you are, lucky me. See, you have to get over yourself. You have to learn to get over yourself. The reason we have performance anxiety when speaking is that we focus more on our performance than on our audience. I mean, all these things about your posture and your presentation and, and, and practicing, that's all important. But don't make that the focus of your talk. Make your audience and the recipients the focus of your talk. So humility is a speaker's best friend when it comes to overcoming performance anxiety. Self-focus is your enemy as a speaker, and you have to overcome it. And trust me, I know, it's not easy. I mean, I've had to deal with it every single time that I was called upon to speak. Pride gets in the way, okay? And it is a huge enemy for any speaker. But you have to overcome it. Always keep in mind that the message and the audience are more important than the messenger. You're the messenger, okay? And the audience and the message are more important than you. So you are to act as a servant, kind of like a, a waiter serving your audience. And your message is the dish you are serving. Exactly. That's all very powerful, great information you said there. So you are there to serve them. You really have to come from a place in your heart that you're there to add value to your listeners, whether it be your live video audience or whether it be a speech, a presentation. Mm -hmm. Simon Sinek summed this up in an interview he gave by saying, you have to show up to give. And here's an excerpt from this interview. I have one very important rule about speaking publicly, which is you have to show up to give. You have to show up to give. And I will very often, before I walk out on a stage, say to myself out loud, you're here to give, right? There's something I know, or there's something I've seen, or there's something I've discovered that others think is valuable, and I'm here to share it. And I want nothing in return. And it's unbelievable to, to me how many people show up to take. And you can see it, it's, it's, quite, it's quite clear. You know, when somebody asks a question, and they say, you can get the answer in my book. Well, you, hear, you know the answer, you wrote the book, why don't you just answer the question? as opposed to trying to get book sales, yeah. you know? Or people who, you know, you look at their PowerPoint behind them and on every single slide it has their email, it has their website, it has their Twitter handle, it has their Facebook, it has their LinkedIn. What, they want something from you. They want you to follow them and email them and give them business. Yeah. And there are people who show up because they want a standing ovation. But if you show up wanting nothing, if you show up wanting no approval, no business, nothing, you're here to give. People sense that. Like all of us as human animals are very, very highly attuned to whether someone's acting selfishly or selflessly. We can tell. Our survival depends on it, which is why we're really good at sussing it out. And so when we assess that someone on stage is selfishly driven, we'll take their information and we may do a transaction with them, but we won't give them our love and our loyalty. Well, when we can tell someone is showing up for us, that wants nothing from us, simply to give to us selflessly, we are grateful and we will in turn give them everything and express our gratitude. 
So rule number one of public speaking is show up to give. So we're back. And as you heard um, Simon share this, isn't it amazing? I mean, he's one of the really good speakers out there on the speaker circuit and on the leadership uh, platform. Um, it's all about giving. It really is. I mean, if you approach your task from a servant leader's perspective, you take away so much pressure. Because all of a sudden, you're out to help people. You're out to help them. You find yourself caring about them, not you. So when you're, hel when you're there to help someone or to serve someone, you don't worry about being perfect. You know they appreciate it because it adds value to them. So your mind shift, right? Your mind completely shifts from being self-centered and self-focused and what are they going to think right now to wanting to add value to them, help them, give to them. It's a very important shift and it's going to take away so much, so much fear. And, you know, people can sense that as well. I mean, you know, if you're there to give a perfect presentation, people feel if it's authentic or not. And people feel that even if it's not perfectly said, they understand and they res it resonates with their heart when they see that you're really trying to help them and add value to them. Your lingo isn't the same. And it's amazing that you just mentioned that because I remembered uh, Mel Robbins. Uh, she gave a memorable speech, uh, actually a speech that went viral, her TED Talk that went viral on YouTube. I think there's like, I don't know, maybe 14 million views on that uh, Probably talk. more now. It's, yeah, maybe around that, but there were 12 mil million last time I checked. And at the end of her speech, I remember she said, how can I help you? Ask me. Just come to me and ask me if you need my help. And if I can help, I will. When I heard her say that, I was like, and you know what? I was in the process of writing my book. I needed people to read it and endorse it and say, hey, this is a really good book. So I told myself, hey, why not approach this phenomenal female speaker who is a tremendous leader in her own right? I'll ask her. I'll just put it in practice and ask her straight out. And that's exactly how I pitched it to her. I said, in your YouTube TEDx talk, you said, if we need your help, if we require your help, we should just ask you. Well, this is me asking you, would you be willing to check out my book and endorse it if you f feel that it's a, a good fit. And uh, she actually imagined that. It's, just, it's crazy when I think about it. She actually thanked me for reaching out. What a, what a classy lady. Just, a, like, just amazing. She thanked me for reaching out and she took the time out of her business schedule. She was writing her own book. She was writing the five-second rule at the time. Right. Took the time out of her business schedule to read the book. I just had to remind her once because I had a deadline myself. And... Uh, she gave me her endorsement and I was, I, mean, I was ecstatic. I remember I was dancing, I was dancing, I was having, I was so happy. But it, it, like Liz said, uh, the audience knows when you're sincere. The and audience, she meant, and, and she, she meant, meant every word. I mean, exactly. I, I was, I was like, what, you're the real deal. I actually wrote back to her and said, you are the real deal. This mm. is just like, wow, you follow through exactly the way you said in your talk. I'm amazed. Uh, I'd like to say we're best friends today. It's not really the case. She's followed her own path and I follow my own. But still, I mean, <laughs> this, is, this was for me, it was a big highlight in my uh, speaking uh, and writing career. Right. I just wanted to give that here as a uh, little anecdote because it just came to my mind just now. I just want to finish with this um, 
leadership, uh, not leadership, but servant leader approach. If you approach your task from a servant's perspective, like I said before, you take away so much pressure. So don't approach the stage as their leader. Because oftentimes it's a mistake we make because we're in a position of, of leadership. I mean, basically when you, you're called upon to speak, you, you, it kind of comes with the territory, but that can be misleading sometimes. Always keep in mind you're their servant, okay? And it's going to go so much better for you. And also, if you take the approach of, hey, I'm here to serve, and there's a technical difficulty, the mic messes up, doesn't work, or a spotlight your live Breaks. video falls. <laughs> your live video falls <laughs> on the ground or your child starts screaming behind you. Anyway, anything goes wrong from a technical perspective, and it happens all like very often, you won't be crushed. You won't be overwhelmed. Because when we approach it and we are in the mindset of I have to be perfect, I have to be, uh, it's all about me, and it doesn't go well, we're crushed. But when you approach it from I'm here to serve, I'm here to help these people, so, well, since you're helping them, this is just like a team effort, right? <laughs> like, so when the, when the mic breaks or when something goes wrong, you don't see it as all about you. You see it as, okay, we're, we're a team. We're all here together for the same thing. I'm here to give a presentation. They're here to hear it. And we're all kind of pissed off this happened. We're going to fix it and, and move on. So you don't take it personal the same way. It doesn't, you're kind of more detached when the technical stuff happens. I just wanted to give you a little tidbit about that, right? So uh, if you're there to offer a performance, it can really increase your sense of inadequacy. But if you're there to serve, it helps to keep you uh, calm and to keep things in perspective. Okay? And number seven. Number seven, do it for God's glory, not your own. I mean, I'm talking to Christian entrepreneurs, the Christian entrepreneurs. So even for those of you who are not pastors, who are not in ministry, Ultimately, do it for him. Even when you're talking to a secular audience, do it for him. See, our, our biggest problem when we're speaking, my problem, your problem, is that we seek the praise of men rather than the glory of God. And now you might say, but I'm not a pastor. I'm not preaching a sermon in church. I'm talking to business people. I'm building my business. Well, allow me to be blunt here, okay? That's the problem. What do I mean? Well, like I said, are you or are you not a Christian entrepreneur? We are too busy building our own thing, and therefore, we do not worry about God's glory in the process. My business, my success, my speech, my audience, wrong approach. I hope I'm making myself clear here. There are some great verses that have to do with that. Liz, if you'd like to share them, please. Yeah, here are some great verses to keep us in the right perspective as Christian entrepreneurs. Colossians 3.17 says, And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. And remember, like they said, it says, whether in word or deed. And when you're actually giving a public talk, it's a deed in which you use words. So it's both. Exactly. And in verse 23.24, it says, Whatever... 
Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. Always keep that in mind. In Galatians 1.10, it says, Am I now trying to win the approval of human beings or of God? Or am I trying to please people? If I were still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. And in that same uh, mindset, uh, there's a clip I want to share with you guys. It's a clip from uh, Pastor John Piper, who talks about a verse in John 5.44, where Jesus says, How can you believe since you accept glory from one another, but do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? It's a rhetorical question. I'm going to play the clip uh, where John Piper addresses this verse and basically the perspective in which we are to do it for God's glory and not our own. Listen to this. How can you believe, meaning you can't, when you receive glory from one another? And do not seek the glory that comes from the only God. You can't believe. Why? Because you love the glory of man, not the glory of God. You love it. It feels so good to be praised, complimented, approved, applauded. It feels so good. You don't want Jesus because you want praise from man. You want to be the center. You want to be in control. You want to be exalted. You want to be made much of. You want to be somebody. Pick whichever of those seems to fit you best. For me, they all fit perfectly. That's who I am. By nature, I, I reverence the fall of man in its power over me. I was born this way. I was spitting out parent-controlling commands from the day I was three days old. And I've never changed in my root humanity until God moved and killed the old man and brought a new creature to life who, who hates this and wars on it day after day, which is the only reason I have any perseverance in faith at all is because God keeps showing up to help me keep putting that old man to death every day. I don't need to remember 50 years ago what this was like. I just need to remember an hour ago or maybe five seconds ago, hoping you're going to like this sermon. 
And who cares, right? Except that you be saved. It is so subtle. So, verse 43 seems to me pretty clear. You cannot believe if you have a love affair unchecked by the Holy Spirit with the praise of man, with human glory, and no love affair with the glory of God. Okay, we're back. So yes, too often we seek our own glory in what we do instead of seeking His. And I'm guilty of this, and I'm sure you're guilty of this, and if John Piper is guilty of this, trust me, I'm guilty of this big time. (laughs) (laughs) When we're called upon to speak in public, we are there to add value to others. But we anguish over how our own value may be affected in the process. This is one of the most important quotes you will hear in this podcast, so I'm going to repeat it. When we are called upon to speak in public, we are there to add value to others, but we anguish over how our own value may be affected in the process. So ultimately, our fear of public speaking is because we have eye troubles. And eye trouble means our vision needs to be corrected. What do I mean by eye trouble? What if I fail? What if I can't remember my words? What if I stumble? What if I embarrass myself? What if I say something I'm going to regret? Humility is your best friend as a public speaker. Definitely. So yeah, we need to correct our vision. Remember, no matter how much you prepare, practice, and aim for perfection, you will not be perfect. I'm sorry to burst your bubble. Your speech will have its flaws. Some of your quotes, jokes, and stories will not resonate with everyone. Some of the lessons you try to convey will not be understood. And most of the people who heard you will not be changed. Again, I'm sorry to tell you that, but it's the truth. In spite of all this, your voice needs to be heard. You are the light of the world. You are the salt of the earth. You have something to teach. You have something to tell. You have tremendous value to give to others. And yes, some lives will be changed in the process of your speaking. And for those few, it is worth the effort. It is worth the sacrifice. It is worth you facing your fears. Remember this quote by Fred Miller. The worst speech you'll ever give will be far better than the one you never give. And I particularly like this observation by Dale Carnegie. There are always three speeches for every one you actually gave. The one you practiced, the one you gave, and the one you wish you gave. (laughs) That's good. (laughs) That is good. That is exactly the plight of public speakers. Remember that the best speakers you ever heard were once very bad speakers who were just starting out. Maybe like you. Maybe you're just starting out. So with that in mind, 
you will get better at speaking by speaking. And here's a rule of thumb. If you can count how many speeches you gave, chances are you will still be working on overcoming butterflies and jitters. So if you can still, if you know, I, this is number 25, this is number 30, if you know how many speeches you gave, you're probably still dealing with the jitters and the butterflies. John Maxwell, who is probably the most at ease speaker I have seen. I mean, the guy sits on a stool, he sucks on a cough drop, he has his water bottle, and you feel like he's in your, your kitchen. You feel like he's talking to you from your kitchen counter or something. He's so at ease. It's disarming, but it's great. And he, and he said that many people through the years asked him, John, how, how are you so at ease? He says, well, when you've done it 10,000 times, guess what? You become pretty at ease. And that's it. I mean, the more you do it, the more at ease you will become. The more it's going to become second nature. So keep at it, by all means. If you've just started, don't quit. Don't let the fear paralyze you. Just keep doing it. And it's going to get better. I still do some speeches sometimes that I... That when I'm done, I'm like, I was a train wreck. And I have experience as a speaker. Huh? A couple of years ago, I gave a speech. I was like, oh my, it was bad. But it happens. You're not going to be perfect. And it's okay. Just keep at it. Because you have value to give to others. And you don't want to quit. Because God put a message on your heart. God put experience in your life. So that you can share it with others. Exactly. So that concludes our podcast. We hope that this added value to you and that encouraged you to overcome this fear. Um, please share it and let us know in the comments section or wherever you're listening from. If you're on our podcast at thrivingonpurposepodcast.com, leave us a comment to let us know how you enjoyed this, how this helped you. If you had like, um, you know, if it undid a mental block that you had or maybe something we said really inspired you to to go forward, we'd love to hear your feedback. Yeah. And you can also uh, go to thrivingonpurposepodcast.com and subscribe so that you can get the latest, uh, newest uh, episode straight to your inbox. And you know, guys, um, just on a, on a personal note here, the best thing you guys can do to help us is not to purchase anything we're selling. But it is to share these podcasts and say how much they have helped you. The word of mouth goes a long way for us. I mean, if you're gonna, if you're blessed, if you're helped, then by all means, don't hold back. Share it with your friends. Share it with those you know it's going to resonate with. Um, that is the best way you can thank us. Exactly, because we want to have a positive and helpful impact for Christian entrepreneurs. So on that, be blessed. And thrive on. Thanks for listening to the Thriving on Purpose podcast. Be sure to visit thrivingonpurpose.com to access the show notes and to discover more fantastic content. Until next time, be blessed and may you thrive on purpose.